there, parents of tweens and teens. Emily Mathon, parent coach here with Virginia Family Therapy. Are you trying to support your teen or tween's independence while holding the boundaries? Do you want to show them love without them feeling smothered? Are they bumping up against household rules, experiencing painful natural consequences? I want to invite you to join with other parents of tweens and teens for connection, direction, and encouragement in a relaxed group environment over Zoom. Our next group starts Wednesday, April 14th, and runs for eight weeks. You can get more information at virginiafamilytherapy.com slash parenting dash groups. want to post like the silly stupid stuff do, I do. it okay oh i do this as a joke with my sisters do you do send them stuff that you're doing at home well, like they'll be like i'm making my avocado toast and so i'll have like a really terrible avocado that's like all brown and i'll like do a little video <laughs> that's <laughs> like funny a joke and, be like, and then i'm gonna use this and just cut out all the brown that's <laughs> that is pretty funny welcome to podcast therapist hi caroline hi amanda Hi, Sarah. Hi, Caroline. Hi. Last week, we talked about how we talk to kids and families about anxiety. And this week, we're going to talk about how we help them cope with it or what we talk about with dealing with it itself. Absolutely. So one of the things I talk to families about is how we can help folks manage their anxiety in a proactive way or in a reactive way, right? Like how, what are the things that we do proactively so that the anxiety doesn't get too big? So let's just start with that because I know we're all having those conversations all of the time is how do we kind of manage our anxiety before the anxiety is even there? I think one of the things that I do is educate and basically have part of the conversation that we had last week, right? Like you give them our podcast. <laughs> I don't. I could now. now. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of me spending a session talking to you about this, you can, here's your homework. You can Excellent. listen to our podcast, increase our listenership. Mm -hmm. Um, no, but I think like helping people understand, like, why am I anxious? What is happening in my body? Like, what is anxiety? Is anxiety bad? Is it not bad? I think that is like my first step in helping like from a proactive approach. The psychoeducation. That's, yep. the, that's the official word for stuff like that, y'all. Yeah. Psychoeducation. Psycho I like that. Psycho but the normalizing of just the experience too, right? Like, just, yeah. yeah, that is the first step I think we all use. And then the second step is what? So send them this podcast. <laughs> send them this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. No, the second step for me, and of course, this is probably my own stuff, is I'm like exercise. So I've just recently read this book um, called Burnout, and it's getting a lot of good oh, reviews mm -hmm. recently. I've heard about it, yeah. Um, by Emily Nagasi and some and her sister, I forget their names, but essentially her hypothesis is that we carry stress around in our bodies. And the only way that we actually can get it out, we have to find ways to actually get it out or else we hold it in our bodies and then it stays in our bodies and we have somatic complaints or like physical complaints because of it. And so one of the things she really says is you have to exercise in order to get the stress out of your body. And so for me in general, I'm always telling people 45 minutes of even walking, 45 minutes, five days a week, 
that's going to do tons to manage anxiety, period. I start with 15. I, I mean, for people, like, if it's a huge lifestyle you're probably shift, right. Yes. I'm like, start with 15 minutes a day. 15 minutes of anything, of just moving your body. So you know what I do, actually? So I, I say 45 minutes, put a podcast in, right? Forty Because if it's a big change, 45 minutes, put a podcast in. You can listen to this one, or you could listen to something better like cereal. Um, <laughs> and then you go on a walk. Or I will say do like 15 minutes of a minute hard, a minute easy, a minute hard, a minute easy, because that sort of elevation mm-hmm. of your heart rate is mm-hmm. it, it is more effective in managing your anxiety mm-hmm. better. And it's in a shorter period of time. That makes sense. Yeah, that's good. I love the exercise stuff, guys, you know. I do. I too. I'm a huge supporter of people getting out and moving Yeah, around. I have started... Um, doing outdoor in-person sessions again which means I'm like walking and walking and walking during the day and especially this week when the weather's been nice I guess I don't know if the weather will have been nice when we release this but in this (laughs) moment the weather has been really in Virginia it's been nice um and like my endorphins and like my energy level I'm like it's the best day ever (laughs) Like I feel great. And then I sort of hit a point where I've maxed out on walking, but I do notice like this huge shift in my mood, being outside, being in person, walking with clients versus like sitting on zoom. And how many steps you told me this, but how many steps are you getting a day? What's the, what's your max recently? Like 33,000. God, 33,000 steps, which is like, are you chasing your clients? No, I'm just kidding. I'm herding cats <laughs> in my free time between sessions. No, but like every session is like two, a little over two miles. Right. And so you multiply that by like six or seven and you walk. And then I have a dog and he doesn't come to work. So then he needs his own separate exercise. I sleep really well. God, that's mm-hmm. great. Well, that's the other piece. Sleep is so important to helping um, regulate anxiety. And I think the exercise really helps the sleep part. So again, that's kind of a nice marriage. If you're getting a lot of exercise, you'll be tired. So from the proactive standpoint, I kind of talk about like lifestyle or like the day to day. Absolutely. Right? So like mm-hmm. exercise, structure. yeah, routine, like so exercise, sleep, um, caffeine. I have a lot of clients that drink tons of caffeine. Mm-hmm. So like, how can you decrease your caffeine intake? And you all caffeine. So what caffeine does is it actually makes your heart beat faster. Yes. So part of what anxiety is, or part of what happens in our body is we feel a sensation in our body and then we attribute that to an emotion. So right. we don't, you might not even feel anxious about anything, but when your heart starts beating faster, your brain says, Oh, wow, your heart's beating fast. You must be anxious about something. Therefore you're, therefore you're anxious. And you can actually assign it to the wrong thing. A hundred percent. Kids, that happens with kids a lot. I know they'll say, oh, I can't go watch a movie because last time I was in the movie theater, I, I got anxious and it had everything to do with just some sort of surge and the heart rate went up. And so they assigned it to the whole movie theater. Mm-hmm. I think also um, speaking to routine, like just the night routine with kids and teens, like I talk about this so hard with teenagers, I think in particular, but I talk a lot about just, even if you can just be routine for the last 15 minutes like just the way you wash your face or just the way you brush your teeth or just the way you get into bed, just something that just gives your body some pattern to get used to that Mm -hmm. it also improves relaxation. Mm -hmm. And I recommend, I don't know if you guys do the apps, some of the apps that you can listen to to fall asleep Mm -hmm. with some of the kids, right? Um, 
I certainly do. So like the Calm app mm-hmm. or Insight Timer, there's mm-hmm. Headspace. There's Headspace. It's a little bit more expensive. I also with so there's a whole we should probably just do another one around sleep hygiene and sure. sleep anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um and we can do that, but I think one of the things we're saying is that 8 hours of sleep really has an impact on anxiety. And if you think about, so probably a lot of the people here are parents. And so you've had the experience of having a newborn and how little sleep you got then and how anxious and depressed and angry and also joyful about this baby. But there were a lot of negative emotions in there that were related to sleep period. Right. I mean, basically when you have your newborn, your significant other can do nothing right. About the first year, and that's really (laughs) lack of sleep. I think a lot of times, guys, I can't wait for this phase. Yeah, Caroline, sorry, (laughs) but I mean, you're right. So sleep is really important, and I think we always say eight hours, but really, like if you if you look, like athletes need more sleep. Yes, kids who are putting out a lot of, and and even people who have a genuine like routine already, they're dedicated to for exercise. Let's say you've got a kid who's an athlete. just a walk after dinner is different from what their bodies are used to doing. So just that extra little walk can really help decrease anxiety too. So I would argue that if you are running anxious, you are going to require more sleep. Yes. Because anxiety is exhausting, like mentally and physically. Yeah, I think you're right. I agree. And guys, I hate to say this, but when I heard stuff like this growing up, I'd be like, well, that's not me. You know, like, I'm just anxious about this. Like, I'm anxious about this test coming up. This is a very important test. Or I have a lot of stress in XYZ or whatever it is. That's why I'm anxious. But ultimately, the second I actually changed my sleep patterns and my exercise patterns Mm -hmm. and my eating patterns, I really did see a shift in my anxiety. In what you can manage, right? You just have more bandwidth to manage things. Kids can handle the extra stressors or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think right now with um, with kids who like are on virtual school, the patterns of sleep have really altered. And, and sometimes they're like the exercise piece is huge, but sometimes they'll stay on a screen really, really late. Mm-hmm. And we can always talk about screens, but I think sometimes just if you, if a kid's going to be on a screen late, just saying, okay, those last, like, again, those last 15 minutes, just come off the screen those last 15 minutes. Yep. Like it doesn't have to be, the parent doesn't have to intervene with a hardcore, like no screen after eight, that can be too hard for some kids or they're doing homework till 10 or 11. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The other thing I would say, sorry, is also around eating. And I'm not really into healthy eating. I really should be. Um, I, I'm kind of into healthy eating in theory. But um, I do think, especially right now, there's a lot of folks out there that are doing intermittent fasting or that are really going long periods of time without eating because there's you know, there's some literature out there that maybe, the, and maybe it's Instagram. There's some Instagram folks out there saying we should be intermittent fasting. But if we're going longer than three hours without eating, our bodies naturally become more anxious, period. And so if you are in a calorie deficit, your body is going to be anxious because your body thinks you're starving. So that's so making sure you're eating every three hours is certainly a way to manage anxiety. Is that right, Caroline? Caroline's the eating disorder expert. Is that right? <laughs> I'm, like having a, I'm having a really anxious reaction right now. Okay, tell me. Um, because I think under like there's always something underlying disordered eating to me whether it's like tons of anxiety if it's trauma if it's depression like there's a reason why you're predisposed yeah and so i get really nervous at the idea of a really anxious person 
using intermittent fasting as a way to control. Oh, me too. Because yeah. I think it's like snowballs into an eating disorder so fast. Um, so I'm like, I can't even talk about intermittent fasting without getting really nervous. But I 100% agree. Like what I tell all my clients is like, human bodies basically have two fuels and they are food and sleep. And when one of those things is way out of whack, you your ability to regulate your emotion, whatever it is, is just really impaired. Like you're just not going to be as successful because your body isn't getting like the two basic things. I mean, I guess water too, right? But like the two things we really need to survive are like sleep and fuel and food. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was I wasn't. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I wasn't saying they should be intermittent fasting. I was saying this is why you're anxious because you're intermittent fasting. I 100% agree. Yeah. I'm just plugging my own anxiety <laughs> about around. Do you want some peanut butter M&Ms, Caroline? I already ate all my peanut butter M&Ms. <laughs> it's our fuel. Yeah. I think um, with it's a, tradition. It is tradition. It is. With a lot of kids, I think um, the one of the things I say to them too to explain that same kind of relationship is I'll say, "Have you ever been hangry?" And yes. kids can relate mm-hmm. to that because that's something that we even see little kids experience. And I'm like, your body just needs that. So it's similar to like needing sleep, needing the food, needing some routine, needing these kind of all these kind of support pieces we're talking about. And this is just human body and the way society has kind of taken it's made it very easy to get out of normal rhythms of living of being a human being because society is kind Mm -hmm. of different like even going to school i don't think kids are able to eat during the school day as much because they're they're not because they're not able to eat during so you have to be really proactive you need to eat a bar the second before you walk into the school and then you can and then wait four hours which is a little bit of a long stretch until lunch it's hard because I really like my goal for clients and a lot of the nutritionists that I work with is intuitive eating. Mm -hmm. Like structurally school doesn't necessarily allow for that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, yes, you have, I know we like all have heard that breakfast is the most important meal of the day, but it really is because if you go to bed and you haven't eaten since 7 PM the night before and you don't eat until noon the next day, your body, like your blood sugar and your systems are just like totally out of whack at that point. And you're going to, you're going to feel sick. You're going to have a headache or you're going to feel nauseous and then you're not going to want to eat and you can just get into this cycle. So I'm like, I honestly don't care what you eat for breakfast. You can eat soup. You can eat like (laughs) pizza, pizza, ice cream. Like I, whatever you want it doesn't have to be like a traditional breakfast food it can be grilled cheese i'm like just make sure you're eating something for breakfast because especially if you're gonna have caffeine and especially if you run anxious i really do think it's huge right because if you roll in after not eating for over 12 hours and you've got a math test i mean your brain is not going Mm -hmm. to be able to focus or or think clearly and then you're going to panic not literally panic but it's going to create anxiety and that's that cycle piece that starts Mm -hmm. and then the kid assigns it to math, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so now they're just anxious about every math test when in fact they weren't even anxious about the math I'm test. I'm having a lot of realizations of my like misattributed anxiety. <laughs> Me too. I've never <laughs> thought about it this way. Yeah, it's it's the, it's the Guys, assignment I wouldn't piece. go to a movie theater for like three years when really? I was a little kid. I just randomly picked that. Uh, no, I mean, <laughs> when I probably from ages like four to seven oh. or five to eight. Were you too anxious to go to a movie theater? Did you see a scary movie there? So I went to the movie theaters. 
sorry, mom and dad, really young and saw Jurassic Park <laughs> yep. at like age yep. three or four and got very scared. And then I attributed it to the smell in the lobby. Yes, I didn't like the smell in the movie theater. And so I refused to go. And my sisters oh. hated it because they wanted to go see fun movies and I would refuse to go. Aww. That makes sense. But that's yeah. a that's a really um, that that's the same thing. Like you thought it was the smell in the same <laughs> way that people think it's math and not just like time of day and you're hungry and your body mm-hmm. thinks right. you're starving. So you're anxious so that you can look for food. But ultimately, you're just taking a math test. Yeah. Yeah. And anxious kids, their bodies, they get body feedback so clearly. So like, oh, my heart was racing at this speed and I couldn't catch my breath and like all the anxiety symptoms but they're really good at tuning into them. Yep. And if you've got a super anxious kid, which some folks might, um, they also then can, um, they start to think about what disease they have and they start to diagnose their disease. I don't know. Mm-hmm. You it turns into some, some kind of health anxiety. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes health anxiety plus school anxiety. plus. The, and so really it's about slowing someone down for us, getting them in tune to how their body works, how these other support pe- pieces work in their lives and um, what they have control over. Because you don't have control over everything, obviously. And, the, and there are things that can create anxiety that are out of our control. But the things that we can control are super helpful to put in place. And I always feel like people think it's boring to talk about this stuff because it is kind of boring. Like my, especially when I have a teenage girl, they're like, but I want to tell you what he said to me. And I'm like, <laughs> let's talk about your sleep pattern. Like it's so not what they want to talk about, but it actually is like the healthiest thing and the easiest way to make changes is by getting sleep, food, exercise, mm-hmm getting those things, connection to others, getting Mm -hmm. those things in place so that you're managing the anxiety proactively instead of just waiting for it to hit and being like, oh, crap, I have to do something now. So let's talk a little bit about the reactive time, though, because so many kids when there's it's a little bit like they're learning how to drive. I mean, when they're first mastering the skill of managing anxiety, a lot of times they do find themselves past that one to four level mm-hmm. and into the their bodies are reacting they're kind of already there and it's hard to process in that moment and it can be it feels scary to so a lot let's of kids. explain the one to four because caroline has oh, a sorry, nice did little we, did I miss thermometer yeah so i use like a thermometer or a scale in your head so it goes from one to ten ten being like the most intense and most anxious you've ever felt so what i say to people is like the first step is noticing low level anxiety, right? I have to start being in tune with when I start to feel anxious, because what I see a lot of times with clients is I'm not aware that I'm anxious until I'm at like an eight or a nine or a 10. I'm super overwhelmed. I'm like on the verge of a panic attack or just, you know, my, my logical brain is turned off. And so I do exercises to try to say like, okay, so what does your body feel like? What is, what are the thoughts that happen between the numbers? one in four on the thermometer, because that's the ideal time to like use a reactive skill. And we can talk about what those are. But that's the management time, right? Like that's the time you still have a, an opening with that, with that's the brain like the still working. easy window of opportunity, mm-hmm. right? Like that's the easiest time to say, I'm going to do some breathing. I'm going to challenge my thoughts or I'm going to, whatever my coping skill is. I'm going like, to put my Mountain Dew down. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Whatever my coping skill is, I'm going to do it. 
five and six, it gets a little bit trickier. Wait, can you slow down really quickly? Yeah. So between one and four, what are some common symptoms that people experience between one and four, right? Like, mm-hmm. I was just talking to my kids last night about butterflies in their stomach. Yes. Yeah, so, that's and. Good- and because they're going to school, today was their first day of school. And so what does a butterfly feel like? What does that mean? Uh-huh. So what does it feel like in your stomach? That seems to me like it's probably like a three or a, probably, probably a four uh-huh. butterflies in your stomach, right? And I will go through each number with kids and identify like, what does this feel like? And so what are some common things and what are some common thoughts? Butterflies, sweaty, my favorite. <laughs> Fidgety fidgety mm-hmm. yeah like your foot racing. going up and down yeah, so like tapping my foot or like tapping my pencil at school or like I fidget like I twirl my hair mm-hmm. or I play with earrings right so like some things that you might do biting your nails great um, these are good examples and I yeah. talk to people like you might just be a fidgety person right like I am a fidgety human it gets a lot worse when I'm anxious mm-hmm. right so mm-hmm. if I start noticing yeah, I always am like fidgeting with my necklace, but if I'm really like <laughs> cranking it, then it's like, okay, I'm really anxious. Um, I feel like the higher end of the scale is when people are like, my thoughts are racing. Yeah. My heart's racing. I feel dizzy or sweaty. My hands are tingly. Um, I feel mm-hmm. shaky. I think it, when we are able to to walk through a kid any age and number it, like you're saying, kind of grade it, then that gives them something really concrete, and and also it gives um a like a goal for success. So if they can if they hit a four but can bring it back down to a two, like that feels so good, mm-hmm. right? So we're so that instead of just talking about oh you're just anxious or you're feeling anxious or that's so big to kids and and even teenagers too. Like that's just a big, broad spectrum. So if you can kind of number it and like assign it. And so I number it like one through 10, like what does it feel like in my body? Is there a thought involved? And then what do I do? Mm -hmm. So those are the three things. So at a one, what do I do? Maybe that's color for two minutes, Mm -hmm. right? Or maybe it's um, like with little kids, I do five finger breathing, right? Or maybe it's like, smell the flower, blow out the candle, ooh, blow bubbles. That's a great yeah, that's way a to one. teach deep breathing, right? But it's like, it can be quick and simple. Mm-hmm. And then when you, like, they get to scale as they go up, like, what do I do at a 10, right? Mm-hmm. And for some people at a 10, it's like, you know, asked to take a break from class. Like mm-hmm. if younger kids will have like a cool down corner, right? Mm-hmm. Like I actually need to like pull myself away from the situation and go cool down and then come back. Um, for adults, sometimes that's like, go take a walk. Mm-hmm. You're um, just step outside if you're in the So office. let's talk about one to four then for mm-hmm. adults and kids, right? Let's come up with some good strategies that we tell folks mm-hmm. from one to four. So I think breathing is one. Breathing is always one. Yeah. So what strategies? We all have different strategies for teaching breathing. And I like go year by year, kind of which, what I'm doing that year for breathing. So I I use the four by four, right? Box breathing. Yeah. I use that. So can you explain that? Yes. So you, you teach, um, I teach the client to breathe in for four, hold for four, exhale for four and hold that for four. And just do it four times. So do you just do that once? Mm-mm, four times. Okay. So like it's four by four by four. It's by, like four four twenty by four by four. essentially. And, and so yeah, <laughs> but I think um, what I also start to do when as I teach them is, is towards the end of that, like if you get to three or four and you can exhale longer, do it because your exhale breath is your relaxation breath. It's what 
reground your body and reset your heart and your respiratory rate. So if the exhale breath can be longer, and then that'll slowly relax your body without you even having to do anything. So that's what I teach that a lot to adults and kids. So I also teach kids that like the higher you are on the scale, the more breaths it's going to take to stop oh, yeah. walking. Yeah, that's because good. what I hear a lot from people is like, I took some deep breaths and it's not, it didn't help. It wasn't working. And we talk about like, okay, how many deep breaths, whether it's box breaths, mm-hmm. whether it's something else that we can talk about. But like, I'm like, how many do you think you took? And they're like, like three. And it just didn't help. And I'm yeah. like, so three breaths or one set of box breathing right. zero to four, that might be enough. If you're at five, six, seven, you might need to do four rounds right. of four breaths. Mm-hmm. Right. The other thing I notice a lot of kids will do is they'll breathe in really quickly and breathe out really quickly. And what they're actually doing at that point is increasing their heart rate, right. mm-hmm. which then right. increases everything else in their system. And they're like, I just don't know why I'm not relaxing. And you're like, well. So you know what I love to do with people with smartwatches? Oh, what? So, I mean, the Apple Watch has like a breath yes. on it, but you can also see your heart rate. So yeah. I challenge oh, people great. to like, I do like four, seven, eight breaths. I do four, seven, eight, two. Um, so that's inhale for four, hold for seven, exhale for eight counts. But so I'm like, if you have a smartwatch and you start doing that and you do it enough times, like you can actually watch your heart rate drop. Yeah. Because if you are doing deep breathing and you give your nervous system a chance to respond, it will. Mm-hmm. Like it has to. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a cool thing. Like you can actually see like, okay, my heart rate was at 92 and mm-hmm. now it's at 81. And if your kids are too young to have a smartwatch and you have them and you have one, give it to them. Let them mm-hmm. use it, right? Get, let them use it yeah. and practice it. They that's just because it it's immediate feedback and that's the thing that kids need to see. Have you guys seen the app that is like just a ball? Mm-hmm. It's like the breath thing, but I use that with kids too. Oh, yeah. Smart, but it's just like blowing up a balloon kind of. They see it blow up. Oh, that's good. To that. Yeah. So, okay. So we, a breathing. lot of us do breathing mm-hmm. when you're one to four. Breathing is also, I know I always say this, it's a really easy thing to Google. <laughs> Like, it is. There's tons. Triangle breathing. Mm-hmm. That video is great. Um, it's so funny. I would never have heard of triangle breathing. And like, I've, I feel like I'm learning tons, guys. This is great. too. Because we all have the ones that we use. We use, like I use both of these kinds of breathing, but I didn't know triangle breathing and we get in our own ruts as therapists of like the mm-hmm. strategies that we use so it's cool to hear what some of these other strategies well, yeah, are people forget like we might work in the same building but we're shutting our door and we're yes. with a client like we're not hanging out with each other in the room no i i agree like i think the breathing piece too is like powerful because kids can actually do it quietly at their desk mm-hmm. without anybody Anywhere. noticing and yeah that's why my big plug is for breathing is like i'm not going to make you do a dragon breath <laughs> Like in yoga. So I'm like, you can do it anywhere. You can do it in yeah. the cafeteria, on the bus, with friends. And you might have to check out a little bit, but no one's going to notice that you're doing the breathing. But the other thing I say about breathing and any coping skill really is like you have to practice it when you're calm. Yes. Yes. You can't learn a breathing skill in session, do it two or three times with me, walk out, get anxious and use it because it, you're just not going to have access even at one to four. Mm-hmm. You're not going to have access to it. So I, I challenge my clients, like try to do it twice a day when you're feeling fine. Just, you know, do two or three rounds of breathing 
for the next week. And I always tell my clients that this is why they call something like yoga a practice. It's a practice, right? Because you actually do go and practice this Mm -hmm. so that you can use it when you need it. It's the same way if you're in a play, you go to rehearsal a million times so that you can use it at the performance when you need it. Or it's like sports. You don't just like show up on game day. Yeah. Absolutely. It's not like, all right, here you go. You don't know what to do, but let's go out there and hope we beat the other team. Oh, that was my problem then. (laughs) (laughs) So we love breathing. We love breathing. And in that, I think that there is yoga. Like yoga is really great. You can even get your kids thinking about if they play an instrument, you can have them talking about how they use their breath in an instrument or or how they use their Mm -hmm. breath. Yep. Or singing or how they use their breath in sports. But what else? What do you all use one to four? I use a lot of mindfulness, but not like traditional meditation. Like when I start talking about mindfulness, I get a lot of eye rolls and Mm -hmm. people being like, I don't want to do that. And Mm -hmm. I get it. Because I don't want to do it either either. all the time, but now now I do. But I think there's some easier techniques than like traditional meditation or what we think of. So I'll do what I call the color game. And so it's like a grounding technique. So you choose a color. And you say like, okay, blue, I'm going to look around the room and name every single thing that I can see that's blue. And when I run out of blue things, I'm going to say green and identify every single thing I can see that in this room that's green. Um, The point of breathing and grounding is to like bring you back to the present, right? Mm -hmm. It's to like get you out of your head, um, out of like worrying about the future or the past. And so I really like that one because it's simple. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot to remember. Okay, I choose a color, I name everything, and I keep doing that until I start to feel calmer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some kids I would have, like, just if they have ice water, just putting ice water in their mouth and holding it and just, like, noticing all the things about having water in your mouth. Mm-hmm. Like, again, it's just an internal – it's a refocus. Or even um, Altoid, you know, there's a really strong oh, mix. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I had one client in particular It was great. Like, that was the one thing that worked was putting an Altoid in her mouth, like, if she was a little bit nervous. And it would just – because it was so strong, it would just ground her to the sensory perception of the mint. Because the reason, like, what, what you are both are talking about is when you're anxious, you're usually anxious about something that's going to happen in the future mm-hmm. or something that, it, that has already said. And I always call it, like, you either have pre-anxiety or post-anxiety. Right. I always have post-anxiety. Oh, like, both. oh, my gosh, why did I say that? Like, it, like in the shower. Like, why? Like, it's so, you're so embarrassed for yourself. Have you seen, like, the images online where it's, like, it's a outline of a person's body and it's like them standing up and it's like from the waist down is colored in and it's like anxiety during the day <laughs> and then you lie down at night oh and it and like it's evens like out anxiety yeah at night and it comes up to your head oh no and I like I really like that image because I also think you know whether it's in the shower or when you lie down at night it's like the time that you replay the day in your head or you worry about tomorrow Absolutely. And so the thing about these grounding techniques that you're talking about, like what is happening right now in the present, right? Mm -hmm. Like what Mm -hmm. is get out of the future, get out of the past, look at the colors that you see in your vision right now, taste the water. What does the water feel like? What does the Altoid feel like Mm -hmm. currently? Because that's how you reset your brain to be present in the moment. Because usually the moment isn't actually that bad. There's nothing that anxiety producing in the moment. It's just that our brains have us either going forward or going back to feel anxious. Mm -hmm. So that's, so yes, so that's what the grounding technique is. One other thing I really like with teenagers because they have their phones all the time and love their AirPods um, 
is I do mindful listening. So I'm like, choose one of your favorite songs and choose an instrument. Oh, that's great. I'm going to listen to this song and focus on the guitar. Okay. What does it sound like? I'm going to listen to it again and focus on the drums. What's different? Mine would be just listening to the music and trying to figure out the words. I feel like I always miss the lyrics. That actually is a good strategy. But yeah, it's a great strategy. And I think even um, I've got some kids that we create um, calm songs. So songs that they might even just put on, right? Like especially at night or in those moments at at school if they have a break or whatever. Hey, you all. As you can tell, we have a lot to say about anxiety. So we're going to come back next week and give you strategies and tips for how to manage it when it hits above a five. So we're talking five, eight, and ten. Can't wait. Thanks for tuning in. Bye.